Turn to Luke chapter 19. Our text today is the traditional Palm Sunday text. You heard it read out of the Gospel. The text today is actually the beginning of what people view in Scripture as Holy Week. And today, as has been the case over the last four or five weeks, we're asking the question, what did they hear? What would they have heard in this story? Those surrounding Jesus at the time the story took place. We're going to do something fun today, because this morning has been fun already. So we're going to mix it up just a little bit. We've never done this here, so let's see how it goes. We're actually going to act out the story. Total impromptu. You guys are sitting there like, oh, I hope he doesn't call on me. My goodness. We're going to take volunteers first. This story has several characters. We want to start with an easy character. Who would like to play the rocks? Very good. Come on up here. You can play the rocks. Good. Hey, all right. We got some little hands. I love it. Just, uh, I tell you what, once you, this is a good place to be here. Okay? Uh, we need a couple of Pharisees. Again, this is not an indication of how you view yourself, but this is just the part you're playing in the story. Okay? Check that out. (laughs) You are a Pharisee. We need one more Pharisee. Come on up here. That's right. Whitney, you turned 13 recently, didn't you? No. This weekend. This coming week. Well, then, perfect. Whitney, as a 13-year-old, this is a perfect role for you to play. Okay? Pharisee. Let me see. You guys are going to be... Um, I don't know. We'll figure it out. Okay, we need... Everybody's going to participate. So if, even if you're not standing up here, you're going to be part of the crowd. Okay? Whew. Part of the crowd. The crowd is going to have a line. It's going to be right up there. Uh, you'll see it in a little bit. When it comes up, you'll see it. That's the line you're going to say. tell you when you're supposed to say it. We need a couple of people... Well, no, we need a donkey. You want to be a donkey? Come on now. Stacia is so excited to play the donkey. Okay. This is a very important role. I want you to go stand in that right over, you know, where the windows kind of stop, right over there. We need a couple of donkey owners. Two donkey owners. Caleb, come here. You're a donkey owner. Annika, now you guys have lines, okay? So, yeah, don- come on, Annika, you're a donkey owner, okay? You guys go stand right next to the donkey. Remember who that was? That is Miss Stacia. You guys go stand over there. You're going to have to listen to the story really well because you have a line in it, okay? All right, we need, uh, we need several disciples. I've got five here. Uh, yeah, so, disciples. Got all the easy volunteers out. Come on now. Disciples, there we go. Come on, good. We got a couple. Nice, there's four. Oh, John, that's a good one. Okay, very good. Disciples, uh, you guys are going to be, you guys are going to be right back there. We need one more disciple, right back there next to the baptismal. One more disciple. Carly, thank you for, oh wait, never mind. Becky, bless you. Okay. Good picture. We also need Jesus. He's in this story. Again, not an, indi- not an indication of how you view your own spiritual walk, but an indication that you're willing to play a difficult role. Sam, thanks so much for raising your hand. My goodness. Jesus. Good. You're right over there. Okay? Now, let me make sure we get everybody right where they need to be. You are a rock. 
Okay, we got a couple of Pharisees. You guys just kind of hang out over by the piano. Okay, your role will come out. Uh, you can be a rock wherever you want to be. You're a Pharisee. Who's a rock? Oh, you're a rock. Sorry. Thank you. Okay, we're in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse... I am in the Gospel of Mark still. There we go. We're in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. I'll read about a verse at a time, and as you hear something that involves your character, you act it out. Okay? After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. So this general area is kind of toward Jerusalem, okay? So Jesus is walking ahead of his disciples. Oh, good job. He's doing a good job. As he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he said to two of his disciples, go into that village over there. Go into that village over there. Who's going to do it? There's two, two of them. These two. Okay. Oh, okay, now wait, there's more. He said, go into that village over there. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied, tied there that no one has ever ridden. As you enter it, As you enter it you'll see a donkey. You'll see a donkey. It's never been ridden. It's never been ridden. Go untie it. Bring it to me. Okay. If anyone asks, why are you untying that donkey? Just say the Lord needs it. Okay. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. Donkey's over there. You guys are walking into town. There's a couple good looking disciples. Wow. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying that donkey? Well done. And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. (laughs) So they brought the donkey to Jesus and, oh yeah, here we go. So they brought the donkey to Jesus. Looks like the donkey is bringing them to Jesus. Gentlemen to the donkeys. This was not staged. So they brought the donkey to Jesus. They threw their garments on it. Jerry, you got a coat? Now, the Greek, the Greek literally says they placed Jesus on top of the donkey. Okay? We're not going with the Greek. We're going with the New Living Translation that leaves that part out. And they says, uh, let's see, so they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their garments on over it for him to ride on. You're just going to pretend. Okay. As he rode along, so we had a nice little trail ride in here, you know. So as he rode along, and if you want to go all fours, this is going to be a long, you're good with it. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Crowds. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, disciples, you guys are following. There you go. Because he's riding, he's currently riding towards Jerusalem. Well done. Well done. We got a verse up there? 
So they're riding along towards Jerusalem when they reach the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives. All of the followers, all of the crowds as well, began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the miracles they had seen. They said, blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. So they said this, blessings. Keep going. Again. time. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd came to Jesus and said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus is right here. They came to Jesus and said, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the the stones along the road would cry out. Hey, let's give our brave volunteers a big round of applause. You guys, well done. Well, you guys go sit down. Thank you. Well, keep the pictures. Keep the pictures. Put, Put them in your scrapbook. Well done. Well done. You guys were awesome. That is a phenomenal picture. Not of you. Wow, that was fun. And I think that actually worked. Whew. Have you ever been in a situation where you've had to shush your kids? Maybe, maybe you're on your way to Thanksgiving dinner, to the big family gathering, and you and the spouse are in the front seat talking about, man, I really don't want to go hang out with Uncle Bob. I just don't like him. He smells like dentine, and he just says the oddest things. Thinking that, of course, your kids aren't paying attention. There, lady, you find yourself at the Thanksgiving dinner table. All the adults are eating. It's quiet. And as soon as everybody's mouths are full, your kid speaks up. Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, my dad doesn't like you. (laughs) He says, you smell like dentine. And you're too far away to kick him under the table. So your first response is, shh, right? Shh. Maybe some of you have experienced something like that. Or maybe you've witnessed it, and of course you've laughed internally, because you're worried it's going to happen to you someday, and frankly, it's just funny. Okay? That's what's going on in the story today. A little bit of shh. What are you saying? And that shush comes in verse 39. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Teacher, shush. Your followers for saying things like that. Since we're asking the question today, what would they have heard? It's right for us to ask, what would the Pharisees have heard that made them come to Jesus and said, shush, shush them. So what did they hear? Now maybe a better place to start is asking the question, what did they see? Because in this story, actions speak very, very loudly. 
Three things I believe the Pharisees would have heard in the actions taking place in that moment. First, they would have noticed where this event was taking place. Or verse 29 says, As he came to the town of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. You see that same reference in verse 37. When Jesus reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing. The Mount of Olives, this is where the scene is set today. No big deal, right? It's just that it's a hill about 2,000 feet high that's about a mile and a half outside of Jerusalem. As soon as you crest the mountain, or excuse me, the hill, uh, you can see all of Jerusalem. Now the towns Bethany and Bethpage were located very close to there, maybe even on the mount itself. And for us, it's just no big deal, right? Just another mountain on part of the journey. But to the Pharisees, those who were doing shushing, it was a big deal. As they looked around, witnessing what was going on at that moment, I'm positive they thought back to the prophet Zechariah. Now in a passage speaking about the Lord, about Yahweh ruling the earth, coming down to wreak havoc, listen to where the text says it will take place. This is Zechariah 14, 3 and 4. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations, as he has fought in times past. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Where will God reveal himself? Not a trick question. Mount of Olives, okay? The Pharisees listening would have known this scripture. That's the first thing I think they would have saw. They would have heard by seeing. Second thing I think they would have seen by hearing. They would have looked around and seen Jesus riding on a donkey. A donkey that had never been ridden before. Now, the donkey for those in Palestine was not the lowly beast that it is for us today. It was a noble animal. It was an animal that was prophesied that Zion's coming king would ride on. Again, we're in Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious, yet he's humble, riding on a donkey. Riding on a donkey's colt. Only in war did kings ride horses. When they came in peace, they came upon a donkey. So Jesus, by this action, could very well have been saying he is coming as king, as a king of peace and a king of love. Not as one in full martial splendor like the crowds were expecting. Two things so far. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives, and he's riding a donkey, a colt. After having walked the 20-so miles or, or so from where his journey began... The last mile and a half, he says, I'm going to ride a donkey. Two things. You think the Pharisees picked up on that? Third thing, I think they heard by seeing. They would have heard the direct reference to a king being announced. In the time of Israel's prophet Elisha, Elisha sent one of his servants to anoint an army commander named Jehu, king over Israel. Listen to what happened when Jehu tells his fellow officers what Elisha's servants say. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12 and 13. So Jehu told them, he said to me, this is what the Lord says. I have anointed you to be king over Israel. 
Then they quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew the ram's horn, shouting, Jehu is king. Jehu is king. They spread out their cloaks. What was taking place in our story today? Verse 36, as they rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. Mount of Olives, riding on a donkey, spreading out their cloaks. It's no wonder the Pharisees have their robes in a wad. Okay? Visually, this looks like Jesus is making a very clear statement. He's saying, without saying anything, hey, Jerusalem, your king is arriving. And Jesus makes this statement, like I said, without saying a word. It's no wonder the Pharisees are very quick to hustle over there and say, shh. We could stop there if we wanted and be fine. But since we're asking the question, what did they hear? We should also look at what was audibly said. Now, besides the interaction between a couple of disciples and some wonderful owners of a donkey. You guys did very, very well. The only words that are actually vocally pronounced are found in verse 38. This is something that you guys already proclaimed. Let's read it again together. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Up until this point in today's story, the Pharisees have just kind of been walking along with the crowd. They haven't said anything. And maybe they were hoping that the actions that spoke louder than words would would not be noticed by the crowds. But as soon as the masses started saying this, they started singing this, the Pharisees, they had to intervene. You see, what the the Pharisees, or what the people were singing, was one line from a very well-known psalm. Go ahead and flip over to Psalm 118 with me. This one line taken out of this psalm, a psalm that we so often sing, you know, a line uh, on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, we sing several songs like that. They leave us feeling good. They remind us of what today is. But this psalm is actually a psalm promising God's return. Promising God's protection against Israel's enemies. Promising God's might and power. Let's pick it up in verse 5. The psalmist writes, In my distress I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. Verse 8, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed all of them with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded me and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all in the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. This is the psalm that they're quoting a verse from. Okay? So keep that in mind as we keep reading. Verse 14, the psalmist says, The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. 
The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord is the glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. Jesus quotes that in the very next story. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Do you see the power, the mighty, the worthiness, the thankfulness portrayed in this psalm? Some good stuff in this. And then you come to the line right before this line. And here's where I think the Pharisees would have remembered. They would have swallowed hard. They would have squirmed a bit. Verse 25. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Do you hear the cry for a Savior? For one to come and fulfill the promises spoken about in these first 24 verses? Everybody in that crowd would have known this psalm. It's one that as the crowd comes to Jerusalem, they normally quoted. So they would have known this psalm. I think the Pharisees heard the cry behind the cry. And they saw the crowds putting the label Savior on Jesus. This is when we get to, what, to the verse, the crowds were quoting. Verse 26, Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. What did the Pharisees hear in that moment? I believe they heard the cry for a Savior. The cry behind a cry. But did you notice the difference between the psalm and the verse you guys quoted earlier? Let's see if you see the difference. Psalm 118, verse 26. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Then we get the one in Luke 18. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Notice the difference? The psalm. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds. Bless the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The crowds that day. On that dusty road descending from the Mount of Olives into the final valley before going up to Jerusalem, they were proclaiming a king. They were proclaiming a Messiah. And the Pharisees saw it and the Pharisees heard it and they hustled over to tell Jesus to shush his followers. They couldn't get there fast enough. Don't, don't do this. Don't let them say this. As was so often the case, Jesus' response to them was not what they were wanting, and it was not what they were respecting. Go ahead and flip back over to, to Luke 19. His response was loaded with meaning that I guess a lot of us don't know. Verse 39, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd told Jesus, shush your followers, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. The stones along the road will, will cry out. 
Now, the idea of nature praising God, it's, it's not a new one. And it wasn't a new one for them in, in the story there. Some of my own personal favorite verses of, in Scripture talk about creation praising God. Psalm 90, uh, 96, 11 says, Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the fields and their crops burst out in joy. Let the trees of the forest rustle with praise before the Lord. Next, uh, next psalm, actually Psalm 98, verse 7 says, Let the sea and everything in it shout His praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. I love that. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord, for He is coming. Isaiah 55, verse 12 says something similar. You will live in joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. The Pharisees would have known the They would have not had any problems with Jesus making allusion to uh, nature praising God. But notice Jesus didn't allude to oceans or rivers or trees. Jesus alluded to rocks. He spoke of rocks crying out. Forgive me for the way my mind works, but when I have always heard this passage in the past, I pictured little rocks with pom-poms. Okay? And they're cheering as Jesus goes by. Yay, yay, it's Jesus. Look at that. Woohoo! He's coming in. That's how I always pictured it. Uh, part of that is because my translation reads, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Okay, I pictured little rock cheerleaders. But it's not what the Pharisees would have heard. And it's not the mental picture they would have got. The Greek word used here that most people translate as cry out literally means to scream. It literally means to shriek. This word is an onomatopoetic term for a raven's piercing cry. It means to cry out loudly with an urgent scream or a shriek using inarticulate shouts that express deep emotion. So when Jesus said, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into tears, would cry out. It wasn't this, Jesus loves me, I'm a rock. It wasn't one of those. It was a shriek. If that redefining definition of the rocks crying out wasn't bad enough, I believe the Pharisees, who knew their Old Testament scriptures really, really, really well, would have caught the reference that Jesus was making. Only one other time in Scripture does Scripture mention rocks crying out. It's in the prophet Habakkuk. Okay? Listen to what Habakkuk says. Chapter 2, verse 11. The very stones in the walls, the very rocks in the walls cry out against you. And the beams in the ceilings echo their complaint. The very rocks in the walls cry out against you. Habakkuk, the prophet, had prophesied, against the ju- uh, prophesied the judgment of God upon Judah before Jerusalem was taken by the Babylonians. So the prophet was saying, the stones of the walls will cry out concerning all the sins you have done against God. So for Jesus to say what he did, it could have a double meaning. Yes, the true Messiah could not be repressed. Praise for the true Messiah could not be repressed. And the stones on the road would bear witness to the city's rejection of him. The stones on the road would cry out against the Pharisees who were now trying to shush Jesus' followers. 
you know, we read Jesus in his nice bathrobe-looking thing saying, if they kept quiet, the stones of the road would cry out. I now see Jesus saying this, if the people around me keep quiet, if they do not praise, if they do not sing out their desire for a Savior, their need for a Savior, if they don't sing out their cry behind a cry, these stones along the side of the road will shriek out. They will wail at the top of their non-existent lungs the sins of the people who do not recognize Jesus for who He is. Those rocks would cry out the rejection of a Savior who was making it very evident who he is. That's what I think they heard. Where do we go from here? What do we do with a text like this? I've wrestled this week with that. Today's sermon, in the way it's been presented, may not be the familiar, jubilant, joy-filled, triumphal entry that we normally hear, so what do we do with it? I didn't come down with a good answer. I came down with more questions. Questions I simply want to leave with you. When you hear a text like this, what do you hear? Do you only hear a festive afternoon parade, a last chance to enjoy a walk with Jesus while he's walking toward Jerusalem? Do you hear the upbeat cheers of rocks on the side of the road proclaiming who Jesus is while wearing their pastel-colored paints? Or is Palm Sunday, is it all about celebrating? Or is there something more? Do you hear and see the declaration of kingship that Jesus demonstrates in this text? And what difference does Jesus as king make in your life? Do you hear the cry behind a cry? A cry for a savior? Do you even recognize your own need for a savior? Maybe you'll leave wondering, because I know I wondered this this week. If you don't cry out, what sins would the rocks shriek out against you? Is there a danger that they've got something to say about you rejecting Jesus? Failing to see him, receive him, respond to him for who he is. What do you hear when you read a text like this? This week... It's my prayer that my heart will cry out like the words of the psalmist right before verse 38. Please, Lord, please save us. Please, Jesus, please save me. I hear and I feel that cry behind the cry. Do you? I want you to wrestle with those questions this week as you Go through this little booklet with the way of the cross. Wrestle with this. Allow the Holy Spirit and the risen Jesus to wrestle with you in these questions. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we hear. We hear that you are the Savior, the Messiah. The one prophesied throughout the Old Testament. The one proclaimed by the crowds, even though they may not have fully known what they were doing. 
And God, we recognize our need for a Savior. Even though, Lord, we may have all we, we need materially, we may have houses, we may have food, we may have jobs, we still need a Savior to rescue us from who we are, from our sins that separate us from you. God, make that clear this week. May we feel what Jesus felt as we go through this booklet together. May we hear the cry, behind the cry, for a Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.